This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. Welcome to another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. For a lot of people, we think about what our future is going to look like. We think about creating wealth that we are going to have to enjoy later in life. We think about creating wealth that can leave a legacy. Sometimes we think we have to build up a business that's going to be sold so that we can have that generational wealth. Sometimes we think real estate, we're gonna buy our house and it's going to appreciate and we may go there. And then there's other times when some investors understand the value of investing in land and how you can start seeing land grow as a way to actually invest in real estate and get future wealth as the land appreciates in value. There are many areas in this country where land is still undeveloped or underdeveloped that we can take advantage of. So I have a great guest on our show today who's going to tell us more all about land investing and how we can possibly take a page out of his book and start figuring out how we can grow from here. Brad Warren is a land banking specialist who helps patient investors diversify their portfolios by investing in land to build generational wealth. Brad, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. So, Brad, let me ask you, just that we're clear, what exactly does land banking mean? So, land banking is the process of buying affordable land strategically placed in the path of growth. People can buy affordable land, you know, out in the middle of the boondocks. And if there's no growth coming, the land is not going to appreciate in value. So we help our investors through a process that we go through. We find land that's affordable and in the path of growth. We sell it to our investors, they hold, and then they their exit strategy is to sell that land to a developer who wants to build a solar farm, a shopping center, 500 houses, or some big project like that. So if somebody were to look at getting involved with you as part of the land banking, what kind of, first of all, investor should somebody be? Let's start qualifying if somebody wants to get involved. How would we start understanding Yeah, great question. I have three criteria. They have to be nice, they have to be patient, and they have to have a minimum of 25,000 in investable funds. That can be cash, that could be a self-directed IRA, a dormant 401k, a 1031 exchange, but they've gotta have the money ready. I usually don't talk to people unless they're ready to invest, but they also have to be nice and patient. We tell our investors, seven to 10 years is the average hold time 
that you're going to just sit there and wait for that development to come to you. You don't put a for sale sign up, Jennifer, and say, hi, I've got an acre of land. Who wants it? You buy the land and then you do nothing. It's, we call it set it and forget it real estate investing. You just wait for the developer to come to you because then you know they need your land because they want to build something big and you're preventing them from doing that. Even if you just own one acre in the middle of the 100 acres that they want, they can't build until they get your acre. And so it, it provides what we call generational or legacy wealth usually in the three to seven X return rate, three to seven times your investment is what you should expect to get. So if we're looking at the advantage of buying land versus buying real estate in general, is there a particular advantage over buying land than regular real estate. I mean, real estate, we understand it appreciates quicker in value because location, location, location. But what is the advantage, if any, where land would be more valuable than a house that's on a piece of land or buying great a question. farm or what have you? Yes. Right, great question. Well, some people don't want to get involved with what we call tenants, toilets, and termites. They don't want to buy a single family residence and have to deal with the taxes and the tenant, you know, calling, oh, the pipe broke, or I had one of my rentals, the washing machine flooded the basement. Fortunately, I had insurance for the $5,500 that it cost to get it all fixed, except for the $600 to buy a new washer, which I had to pay for. And that's a headache. So some people don't want to have to deal with that. As you said, location, 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 and, you know, interest rates are impacting the value right now in terms of people moving. Uh, some areas appreciate more than others. Some areas depreciate. Uh, we had some, you know, look at the, the Great Recession. Uh, housing prices and, and housing value went down, you know, what, 20, 30, 40% and took a while for it to come back up again. So there's a lot of fluctuation. Land doesn't operate in the same way that a building or a, a triplex or a duplex or a single family residence or a um, uh, storage facility doesn't operate under the same principles. So you're basically, if you're a lazy investor and you don't want to do anything, you just want to buy it. And then once a year, pay your property taxes, which by the way, are very low, especially in California because of proposition 13, which I won't go into that big long explanation. People can just Google it, but you can see that proposition 13 keeps our taxes very low. And because there's no building on the land, it's assessed at a very low price to start. So your initial tax is very low and it can only go up 2% a year. So let's say you pay $100 a year in tax the first year, you pay $102 the second year. So in that seven to 10 year hold period, your holding costs, your carrying costs for owning the land, very inexpensive. You buy a single family residence and you've got a $3,000, $4,000 a month mortgage payment which is due every month, whether your tenant pays you or not, you could be in hot water if they cut out of their lease early or just don't pay, which a lot of people did when COVID hit. So, excuse me, as we're looking at the benefit of buying land, one of the things that a lot of people understand, I buy a house, I have to get it inspected. 
when you're buying land, is there any similar inspection need at all? And again, there's no structure to inspect, but do we need to know that it's not a swamp or it's not a, you know, asbestos underneath whatever right. it is that's there? Yes, absolutely. You need to know that. And our company is unique in that we have something we call it the 16 point comprehensive analysis. So we have a research and acquisition department. And right now, as you and I are speaking, all they're doing is looking at land in the area where we invest, which for the people that can actually see, I'm pointing to a map of California. It's a 60 mile radius around downtown LA. That is the only place in the United States of America that we invest. And there's 10 reasons why, which I won't go into unless you ask me, but back to the land. So the research and acquisition department has a checklist of 16 comprehensive points. Uh, is there a sensitive environmental area nearby, like a red-legged toad or a, or a tortoise that would prevent development? Is there an easement that runs through the property that renders it undevelopable? Is there a buried gas tank from a gas station that was there 50 years ago that nobody remembers except us? We do the research. We have maps that the city and county of Los Angeles don't even have. We have maps on microfiche. I don't know you, I don't think you're old enough to, to know what that is, Jennifer, but some people that I've spoken to, I say microfiche, microfiche, and they look at me and they, what the heck is that? Is that a floppy disk? And no, it's even before that. That's, you put it on an overhead projector and you project it onto a, a screen and it's a little piece of film that's, you know, maybe six inches by six inches square, but it has hundreds of maps on it, which show us these easements from 80 years ago, 50 years ago, that the city and county of Los Angeles don't even have. They actually call us when they have a land use issue and they're about to buy property themselves or build on it. They'll call us to, to have us consult with them about the, develop, the developability of that land. So if we don't get 16 yes check marks, we reject that property. We don't even touch it. And we actually literally reject 29 out of every 30 that we look at. The one that meets our criteria, that then we make available to our investors. So we do an incredible amount of what's called risk mitigation or due diligence to remove as much risk as possible. Of course, investing in any real estate, there's always some risk. Our job is to reduce that as close to zero as possible. In fact, we say the biggest risk in land banking is you, the investor getting impatient and not waiting for the developer and wanting to offload your land sooner than you should. It's like drinking a wine that hasn't reached maturity. It might taste okay, but it's not gonna taste great unless you leave it for 20 or 30 or whatever number of years. <clears throat> Thank you. And that probably makes a lot of sense when you think about what your time horizon is what you really need to know in terms of a particular deal and things along those lines. And the microfiche, it's just really interesting when you think about uh, from that perspective, libraries that still have not digitized newspapers from many years before. Um, that's where you would find a lot of that information. And in college, in my poli-sci days, I needed a lot of microfiche uh, research. So I've got enough uh, experience there, but yes, thank you very much for the, I'm not uh, old enough to uh, know what that is, so thank you. 
Um, <laughs> I actually, it, so, well, I, I'm 72. So I go back a ways. We use microfiche in high school to do a lot of our research. We literally went to the library, sat down in an overhead projector, pulled out the film, slapped it on the, on the projector and projected it on a screen. And that's how we did a lot of our research. That, so it goes, it goes back. I have a little bit of history there. <laughs> so Brian, let me ask you, how did you end up getting involved in the land banking industry? Quick, short story. I do a quarterly net worth statement. Been doing it since March of 1989 when I met my, at that time, fiance and later my wife. And I've been doing a quarterly net worth statement every quarter since then, 1989. On December 31st, 2011, I looked at the numbers and had a, an aha, an epiphany, an inflection point. I realized I could not retire. My wife had a 401k. She had enough money she could retire. If we pooled our money together, we both could retire. But if I was a single person at that time, I had not amassed enough retirement funds to be able to retire. And at that point, I think I was, I was uh, 60 years old at the time. So I called my land banking consultant, Marcella Silva, who's now my business partner. She came to the house with her laptop, did her presentation, just like she would if, if we were, you know, uh, uh, interviewing her as a, as a listing agent to sell the house. She came over and did a presentation very similar. And my wife got up and said, no, thank you. Sounds too risky. Sounds like speculation. I don't quite get it. I don't want to wait seven to 10 years. Walked out of the room. I turned to Marcella. I said, I want a piece of land because there's no other way I'm going to build wealth fast enough. So I bought that one. I got a second one a year later, a third one a year later. Finally, a year later, my wife comes to hear Marcella present at a hotel. You know how they have these seminars and stuff. And all the investors bring their friends to find out about land banking and introduce them to Marcella. So my wife says, okay, I, I want to go listen again. Maybe I missed something because you seem to be pretty active and you seem to be buying. You already bought three, uh, but I'm not going to buy. The whole way in the car, Jennifer, she's going, but I'm not going to buy. I just want to learn. Well, we get there. She listens. She buys two properties right there in the hotel, whips out her checkbook. I, and the whole way in the home in the car, I'm going, I thought you weren't going to buy. What happened? And she says, oh, shut up. I get it. I understand it now. So uh, that was my introduction, buying my first property. Then my wife got involved. By the way, for five years of us buying properties, we now own 11, by the way, in case people want to know, do you have some of your own money in land, Brad? Oh, yes, we do. It's about one third of our actual full portfolio is invested in land. Uh, I became a finder, which is a referral partner. And I was referring all of my friends to Marcella, and I was getting these finder's fees. It's 2% of the purchase price. So Marcella was sending me, you know, eight hundred dollars here, twelve hundred dollars there. My biggest one was uh, seventy-five hundred dollars. That was for one person that I referred. They bought this gigantic property, and I made seventy-five hundred dollars. So I'm making money referring people. Finally, I became, I got my real estate license, and this month, actually February 9th. So what's today? The second one week from today will be the fifth, and I'll be starting my sixth year as a land banking specialist working for the company called Valor Enterprises with Marcella as my business partner. And now I'm selling the land and I'm finding finders who will now send people to me and I will pay them the 2%. <clears throat> Got it. So Brad, let me ask you, one of the things we were talking about in the greener before we uh, started recording our show today 
was the idea of what your experience was at the Woodstock Music Festival and what helped to ultimately, I guess, shape some of who you are and how you kind of progressed through your life to this uh, moment. Can you share with us a little about that experience and the interesting, as you say, the happy, uh, funny thing happened on the way to the forum moment? Yes. Well, uh, Jennifer, I have to say that due to the amount of drugs that I consumed, I don't remember anything about the entire weekend. No, 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 I'm just kidding about the remembering part. The other part is fairly true. <laughs> so yes, it was in uh, August. Actually, hold on one second. I'll actually, in case people ever doubt me, I know your podcasters cannot uh, see what I'm showing, but these are two of the tickets from Saturday and Sunday, August 16th, 1969, and August 17th, 1969. You see $7, music, the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. I actually saved my tickets because the fences were all down and they had 400,000 people there and they weren't collecting any tickets. So I saved them, laminated and, and held on to them. So yeah, I lived in uh, Great Neck, New York at the time. Woodstock Music and Art Festival was, or uh, fair they called it, was in upstate New York, about three hours away. Uh, got into my 1961 Morris Oxford car that I had gotten uh, you know, when I turned uh, 18. I actually got it when I was 17 because you can uh, get a license in New York at that time at 17. And took my 16 year old brother and we drove up there, picked up a couple of hitchhikers on the way. And we stayed there from Thursday afternoon until Monday afternoon, uh, imbibing <laughs> certain things and having one hell of an incredible experience, listening to amazing bands. A uh, little hard to see because we were pretty far back, but uh, that, that actually influenced my decision to eventually move to California, which I did in 1975, uh, because I always wanted to be in the land of Jerry Garcia and the Jefferson Airplane, not the Jefferson Starship. It's the Jefferson Airplane. Sorry, folks. I'm from another generation. Uh, but yeah, it was a pretty incredible experience. And I don't think I want to say anything else that'll get me into legal trouble. Got it. Um, so let me ask you, as we're looking forward in time, say five years from now, do you think that land is going to be any different in terms of the expected return? Is it going to be more of a premium, about the same, just to have some sort of an idea where things are going? And of course, it's not a crystal ball. It's only one man's opinion. But Great question. And we've actually asked our CEO something very similar to that. How much more time do we have to sell the land? One thing I can tell you, and I don't need a crystal ball, the land will be more expensive five years from today. It is a finite resource. And everybody knows economics 101, the less you have of something, the more valuable it becomes. <clears throat> so the land where we invest, again, that 60 mile radius around downtown LA is disappearing at an incredibly rapid pace, partly because of state law. A lot of people don't know about uh, Senate Bill 100 signed by Governor Brown when he was still in office in September of 20, uh, excuse me, October of 2018, became law January 1st, 2019. It requires the state of California 
to get all of its electricity for buildings and homes from renewable sources by 2045. That is a state law. We're currently around 35%, and most of that is from solar. Well, we've got to double, triple that. I mean, we got to get 65% more of our, our electricity for buildings and homes in the next 20 something years. And it's taken more than 20 years just to get to 35%. And it's not gonna come from biomass. It's not gonna come from uh, hydro. It's not gonna come from, well, it can't come from nuclear because that's not renewable. It's gonna come from the sun. And so the land, most of the land that I sell is actually for solar farms. These gigantic 1,000 acre, 2,000 acre solar farms built by the energy companies, because if they don't meet the state mandate, they're going to be fined tens of millions of dollars per year for not having reached that goal. And oh, by the way, what about all the electric cars? Yay, Elon, and your Teslas, and your uh, electric buses, and your electric um, trucks. Electric trucks consume, it, it takes as much electricity to power an electric truck for, for an hour as it does to light up 700 homes for a day. I mean, it's ridiculous. They, they consume inordinate. Uh, I may have the numbers a little off, but it's ridiculous. So we're just talking about homes and buildings. We're not even talking about all the electricity needed to power electric vehicles, of which there are millions in California, and there will be tens of millions in the coming years. So yes, there will be some land but it's gonna be way more expensive, harder to find. It's gotta meet our 16 point criteria. We're not gonna relax though that though, any of those because then we're not sure that it will be you know, something that the developer will want. So my fingers crossed, I'll be around maybe another seven, eight years selling land. And after that, I don't know what's gonna happen. Thank you. Brad, what is it that makes you get up every day what makes you tick wow that's an interesting question um i love life i love my life i actually have a t-shirt that says i love my life on it i as i mentioned i'm 72 i'm in very good health got lots of money in the bank roof over my head food in the refrigerator gas in the car an incredible wife 33 years of, I won't say it's all been wedded bliss. We've had our ups and downs, but right now we get along better than we ever have. I have a 30-year-old daughter that I love immensely who lives nearby. Uh, by the way, she's single. Any of your listeners out there looking for a gorgeous young lady, uh, let me know. Uh, oh, she's probably going to kill me for saying that. I hope she doesn't watch her show. <laughs> um, I, I, love, I love what I do. I, I don't work. You know, what I do is so much fun. It's not considered work to me. I don't think I've worked a day in my life. I've always done what I wanted to do. And uh, I play online poker. I play Texas Hold'em at my Moose Lodge. I travel extensively with my wife. We have seven, eight vacations a year. All of that gets me out of bed. Plus she kicks me in the morning and says, hey, go to work. I'm retired. You got to keep selling land. But I just, I have a zest for life. Like I've never, I can't say never had before. I've always had but it gets more and more exciting and zesty uh, the older I get, because I realize I am running out of time. I'm not gonna live another hundred years. My goal is to make it to 120. 
120, healthy, and with a lot of money still in the bank. Got to remember those two points, healthy and a lot of money still in the bank. So I still got, what, 49 more years? Sounds like a plan. Actually, so, 48. I just turned 72 couple, last month. <laughs> so I've got, happy birthday. Still got a lot of years left. Fred, our listeners who have been listening might at this point want to say, I want to find out more. How can they reach out to you? The best way, Jennifer, is via email. I respond to all emails within 24 hours, even when I'm on vacation. It's the only thing I do on vacation work-wise is check my emails. Uh, and it's my name, brad at bradwarren.com, B-R-A-D. W-A-R-R-E-N, brad at bradwarren.com. Send me an email. Please mention where you heard about me. So say, I heard you on Jennifer's show, the Mojo show. So that I can, I always like to thank people uh, and reward them for sending people to me. So I want to know where my investors are coming from. But that's the best way, brad at bradwarren.com. Thank you. And... Thank you so much, Brad, for being my guest on the show today. I think that our listeners definitely got a lot of information out of the uh, conversation that we had. One thing that I would say in wrapping up our conversation is that it really comes down to what is it that you want to be doing in terms of looking at your retirement and that generational wealth. There's so many different options out there. People talk about buying real estate to rent it. You can buy land. Brad spoke about the difference between owning land and owning a rental property. There's pros and cons on both sides. There's ways that you can be looking at how you figure out where you wanna go. A good financial advisor should be somebody that you're always in touch with because they will have more ideas and more specifics to help you figure out where you want to be and where you want to go. A lot of people rely on those advisors to really make sure that they're staying on track for their retirement. There's one retire one financial firm who has that little green line that you keep going on and they guide you to where you're supposed to be going. Think about what you're doing in investing in that perspective. Land can be a piece of your overall portfolio, or maybe can be a little more than just a small piece. But again, remember diversification is always something that you want to make sure that you're always listening to. Brad said himself about a third of his available worth is in land. And it's showing the power of diversification, even from the one who's recommending that we go into land banking. Make sure that you speak with an advisor that you normally would be speaking with so that you know exactly how you may want to be proceeding here. But if you do decide to invest in land and you are interested in investing within a 60 mile radius of uh, Los Angeles, Brad is definitely somebody that you can reach out to and find out what those opportunities are. He said you have to be nice, you have to be patient, and only $25,000 or more in investable assets that you can get involved in. 
which may be for a lot of you an easier opportunity instead of buying a rental home and trying to figure out how to make the mortgage with only a $25,000 down payment. On that note, this has been another episode of Mojo, The Meaning of Life and Business. And until next time, here's to your success. This has been another episode of Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.